today we get to begin our new Christmas sermon series, and uh, we're calling it The Light Entered. Uh, The Light Entered. We're pretty uh, jazzed up about it, by the way. Now, you might be wondering, um, all right, Chris, so uh, uh, why uh, a five-week sermon series on the topic of light? I mean, is this just going to be a a boring repeat every single Sunday? And does the Bible really have all that much to say about the topic of light? Uh, Great thoughts, great comments. We have several reasons uh, for this uh, light entered series. One is we live in a dark world, a world filled with, with brokenness. And what the world needs most is the light of the world to shine into it. Add to that all of us in this room are still broken people. Some of us, uh, if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we we have received Christ and we've received salvation and and now we're in the sanctifying process. But even with that, there's still some dark recesses in our hearts and our souls that we need the light of the gospel to sanctify. And I'll also add that uh, the Bible has a lot to say about the topic of light. In fact, it's a major theme in scripture. It's woven into the, the very fabric and uh, uh, storyline of the re- redemption from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter uh, 22. And plus, we just love the Bible around here. And so when we get to uh, do a sermon series like this one, it helps us see the beauty and symmetry of God's word, which should then cause us to want to study it even in deeper and increasingly meaningful ways. And so the light entered. Uh, Now, tracing this uh, theme of light through the Bible is what we call uh, biblical theology. Uh, Biblical theology. Uh, It's the study of how the whole Bible progresses, integrates, and climaxes in Jesus Christ himself. And that's exactly what happens with the theme of light in the Bible. For example, today uh, we're going to see that the light entered creation. God's first specific creative act was to speak light into existence. The physical light led then to physical life, first with vegetation, and then with animals, and then ultimately uh, with humanity. But before I get ahead of myself, more on that in a few moments. Things changed dramatically, however, when sin entered the world in Genesis chapter three. And as the storyline of the Bible progresses, we see that the light entered life. And the light becomes associated with the life of God's people. For example, uh, God led his people out of captivity in Egypt by a pillar of fire, light. And and then he he covenants himself with them on top of Mount Sinai, again enclosed in fire and light. And then later on when he gives uh, the Mosaic law to his people Israel, he instructs them to keep candles lit in the tabernacle. And then later on when the temple is built, in the temple as well. It's like this idea of a perpetual light shining in their place of worship. What's more, physical light began to represent the spiritual reality of life with God. To walk with God is to walk in the light. And so, the life or the light entered life. Then as the storyline of the Bible continues, we also see that there is a, a promise of a light that would would come and dispel the darkness in the world. And so the light entered as the light of men. It's the light of men. The prophets uh, promised a great light would come, a true light would come in person, 
one in whom the people walking in darkness would see and rejoice. And so uh, the light of men would come to give light to those who sit in the darkness of sin. And then silence. 400 years of silent darkness. And then one day, it was time. It was time for the promise to be fulfilled. And so the light entered as Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, God uses physical light to guide uh, in the star, by the way, the physical light of a star to guide the Magi to worship Emmanuel born in a manger. And Emmanuel is, is the light for revelation to the world. Scripture goes on to say that the people who follow this true light are themselves a light to the world. In fact, uh, the Bible uh, calls them children of light and saints in the light. And they're called also after that to walk in light. Then Scripture uh, concludes the storyline of redemption with the light entered eternity. When Jesus Christ returns and God establishes a new heaven and a new earth, there will be no need for a sun to illuminate the heavens and the earth. For the, the glory of God will light it up. The glory of the Godhead will provide all of light that's necessary for life and eternity. Just as it was so on day one of creation, which we'll see in a moment. And so literally, from beginning to end, God weaves this beautiful thread of light that climaxes in the person of Jesus Christ. The redemptive storyline ends where it all began. And friends, I have to tell you, it is stunning and amazing symmetry in God's word. And we're going to spend the next five Sundays unpacking that in greater depth. Okay? As we enter into creation, let's uh, ask for God's favor here in the next few moments. Join with me as we pray. Oh God, would you bring your favor upon us in this room here as we open up your, open up your word and, and we study it, Lord. Might we, we see you afresh. We're coming here this morning to, uh, with weariness and with, with heaviness in some of us, Lord. And so might you shine the light of your word into our souls and encourage us this morning? Might we see you in increasingly magnificent ways. And so, Lord, we're dependent upon you. Lord, would you move? Would you manifest your presence in this room? We love you. In Christ's name, amen. So now let's look together at the moment that light entered creation. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis uh, chapter 1. We're going to cover verses 1 through 19 uh, this morning. Genesis chapter 1, the first page of Scripture. I'm going to start out by reading verses 1 and 2. This is what the Lord, word of the Lord says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So uh, this first sentence here in verse 1 introduces us to God as the creator of all things. Before uh, God created, there was absolutely nothing. God created everything from nothing. 
There was no physical realm or, or physical reality. There was just Father, Son, and Spirit residing together in perfect unity and harmony and joy. Verse one also immediately puts our focus uh, directly on God because it says in the beginning, God created. And so what, what it shows us is that, that God is omnipotent. He's all powerful because he created the heavens and the earth from nothing. It also shows us that God is eternal because he existed before the beginning. God has no beginning. He has no end. He is before the beginning. It also shows us that he's infinite because he, he cannot be measured or calculated. He's, he's limitless. Uh, we'll look at this a little bit later on, but uh, uh, scientists are uh, actually uh, not sure how to measure the vastness of the universe in scientific terminology because it's really big. God's bigger than that. We, he see, we see that he's also transcendent because he, he is outside, he's over his creation, but he's also imminent in that he is near to his creation as well. This is just in the opening lines of scripture, it's a, a blowing our minds of who God is, is giving a glimpse to who this creator God is. And guess what? We find out later on, he wants to have a relationship with us. And we look at verse two and it says, uh, interestingly, that the creation narrative, it, it picks up after God had already created some matter, like water and, and a form of, of the earth. We don't really, uh, are not given the de details and specificity around the first half of day one and how God went about doing that. Uh, that's obviously not all that important here because it would have given us the, the specifics of that. But what is the main thrust of Genesis chapter one is to show how God ordered his creation and he shows us in grand detail. By the way, it says that darkness was over the face of the deep here in verse two. You know, darkness is the absence of light. The earth here has, has not yet been formed into what, what we know it as, as it is today, and, and nor has it been ordered by the creative hand of God. And darkness was over uh, what God had cre initially created. And what we do know is that darkness is, does not have any physical properties. At least there haven't been any discovered yet. However, Darkness can be felt. We know this because uh, in Exodus chapter 10, God is bringing on the 10 plagues against uh, Egypt and he gets to plague number nine and God brings the plague of darkness. And, and the, the text tells us that the darkness was so dark and so vast that they could feel it. And probably, if you've ever been in a cave with all the lights off, that's probably as close as we can get to feeling darkness because you can't see anything, not even the hand in front of your, in front of your face. It's, it's the absence of light. However, note here at the end of verse two, that in the void, in the darkness, the spirit of God is present. God is present with his creation. He is present in the darkness. I think this should bring encouragement to us here this morning because if God is manifestly present amidst the absolute darkness here in this text, then it must mean that he will also be near to us in the darkness of our individual lives. 
We may not feel God's presence with us in the chaos of our lives, but know this, he is. The pastor is just like oozing out of me this morning because I, I know that many of you are going through some hard, dark times right now. Just this, this past week, and we were meeting as elders, and it was a, a made note that the last couple of weeks of prayer requests, there have been some really hard and heavy requests for prayer from many of you. We're praying for you. But what's even more encouraging than that is that God is near. God's with you. He hasn't forsaken you. Well, let's see what God does here next, right? Uh, Let's look at uh, verses three through five here. It says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness and God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and there was morning the first day. So God uh, begins here with the creation of light. He, he, he merely speaks it into existence. And the text uh, literally here, you could translate it directly from the Hebrew as uh, God said, be light and light became. God declares also that this light is good and he separates the light from the darkness. By the way, the text does not say that God declares the darkness bad. It's important. And he calls the light day and the darkness he calls night. Now, don't miss something really, really amazing here. God creates light before he creates the sun, moon, and stars. He creates those objects in, uh, on day four. We'll get there. But here, here, he, he creates the illumination before the luminaries. So where does this light come from? From God. God is, is the source of the light. He's the divine luminary, if you will. Understand the context and time period that which uh, Moses was most likely writing uh, this under the inspiration of God. Now, all the pagan nations are around Israel at that time were worshiping the sun, moon, and stars because in their minds, those were, those were gods creating light that was, that was shining down upon them. And so in their warped, dark minds, they worshiped those objects. And here, God creates light before he creates the sun, moon, and stars. And what, what, what the text then is, is begging from us is that God is making it clear that he is the creator God and he alone should be worshiped. Nothing and no one else. Friends, God created light. He is the ultimate source of light. And I love here in this text because it doesn't sensationalize what God is, is doing here. It just merely says, let there be light. And there was light. And yet something sensational is happening here. Imagine with me for a moment that before the beginning, before uh, day one, there was nothing, absolute nothingness, no sound, no light, no matter, no fundamental elements from the periodic table, no laws of nature, not even any form of energy. 
Nothing. Suddenly, a voice rings out. Let there be light. And there was light. But it's even more amazing than that. Especially uh, as we peer more deeply at light microscopically and, and, and see its physical properties. For example, what is light? You're like, uh, it comes from the sun. Yeah, but what is it? What is light? Well, it turns out that light is both a wave and a particle. A wave and a particle. It also turns out uh, that there's a, a whole spectrum of light called electromagnetic radiation. Uh, on the one end of uh, the spectrum are, are radio waves, and these, these have uh, large wavelengths of light, but low energy. On the other end of the spectrum is what we call gamma rays, and, and those are like really, really tiny wavelengths, like one times 10 to the minus 11th, and those are high energy light waves. And then in between those two bookends, we've got Microwave light waves, we've got infrared waves, ultraviolet waves, X-ray light waves, and then a very narrow band that is the visible spectrum, provides the colors that we can see. All those uh, other uh, 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 light waves on the spectrum, we can't see with the naked eye. I'll also add uh, that light is a form of energy, which means that when God created light, he created energy. And if any of you know the first law of thermodynamics, then you know that energy cannot be created or uh, destroyed. It can only transfer uh, its form. So you, God steps into the miraculous and creates the first law of thermodynamics and there with it, all of the energy in the entire universe. And these forms of energy are also tiny particles called photons. You can see a, a couple of holographic images of those photons. Now, the, the shape of the, the, the photon here depends upon the amount of energy that is contained in that particle. So fascinating. And one of those images may look familiar to you. And in a vacuum, these photons can travel 186,000 miles per second. That's seven, of, seven and a half times around the earth in one second. And then when, when photo, photons of light contact objects, uh, some of them are absorbed and some are reflected. Light in the, the visible spectrum, for example, comprised of different colors. Perhaps some of you remember Roy G. Biv. <laughs> Some of you are groaning right now. <laughs> the differing colors in the visible spectrum come from the differing uh, wavelengths of light. And an object gets its color based upon which colors it absorbs and which it reflects. The color of my uh, sweater, for example, uh, is green because it, the material absorbs all the other wavelengths of, of light in the visible spectrum and it reflects the one wavelength that happens to be the color that we see as green. 
It was also, uh, this reality was a, a little bit of, a, of uh, the inspiration for the types of Christmas decorations that we were using this year. You can see dazzling array of colors. Chris, brother, why are you giving out all of these facts about life and geeking out on us this morning? Well, first of all, the former engineer got to preach a sermon on God creating light. <laughs> but more importantly, sometimes familiarity with passages can lead to apathy. And some of us in this room are pretty familiar with Genesis chapter one, and we have the tendency at times to just gloss over, yeah, 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 God, God created light. Mm -hmm. Yep, it was so, move on. Some of you maybe even internally were groaning in your souls when I said, please turn to Genesis chapter one, and you're like, oh, for the love. Shame on you. The reality is that there's beauty, glory, and grandness of God on full display here. And all these scientific facts about life that I just mentioned, about light that I just mentioned, God created just by speaking them into existence. Well, God's just getting warmed up, so let's, uh, let's go into, that's day one. So let's find out what he does in day two here in verses six to eight. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, which is, is really the sky, okay? Um, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So God creates an expanse uh, that separates the waters. This expanse is, is what we know as the sky, he most likely created oxygen and, and nitrogen at that time, uh, main elements that comprise the air that we breathe to this day. He also probably formed Earth's atmosphere as well. And, and the sense and use of the term of expanse here carries this idea of a canopy or a dome. And if, if you were to go outside on a, on a clear day and just kind of like lay down in the, in the, on the ground and kind of look up, what you would see is something that to the eye does appear to be somewhat like a dome or a canopy over us. And that's what God creates on day two. Now look here at verses nine to 13 and see what God does on day three. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is, in, is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the third day. By the way, it may feel like there's some repetition here of God saying it and then it's almost an exact uh, verbatim repeat of it, of it happening. The reason the text is, is doing that is because it's making it, it extremely clear to us, the reader, that exactly what God said is exactly what creation is doing in response to what he said. And then the fact that it says, and God saw that it was good, is another uh, testament that God looked at it and said, yep, that's exactly what I created. 
It's so cool. And here on the third day, God causes the waters on earth to recede so that dry land can appear. He calls it the dry land earth, or, or we could say land. And the gathered waters he calls seas. Notice, the uh, first few days of scripture, God is doing a separating work in creation. God also created vegetation on the earth and uh, plants grew with their seeds and fruit trees with their seeds, each one producing according to its own kind. And here's something that's even more amazing is that God created vegetation to grow before he created the sun. And we know that water and light are necessary for life and God already created light and water in day one. And if we keep reading and move into Genesis chapter two at verse six, it says that God caused a mist to rise up from the ground and water the land. And so even though we're in this very early state of earth's existence, God, uh, before even God's creative work is done, he is already providing what is necessary for life. Friends, light gives life. And by the way, if God is the source of light, and light produces life or, or gives life, then that makes God the source of life as well. Physical life is just not possible without physical light. Vegetation requires light for photosynthesis to take place. It doesn't require the sun, it requires the light. Animals require light for warmth and to produce vitamin D. Humans made in the image of God require light for warmth and strong, healthy bone structures and it even positively affects and impacts our mental well-being. It's why we all want to go to Florida or Arizona in January. It's more light there. Physical life without light is not possible. By the way, are you starting to see these physical truths point to a spiritual reality. You're starting to make some, some, some connections there, connect the dots. More on that in the Sundays ahead. Now, let's look here at what happens in, in day four. Uh, look at uh, 14, verses 14 to 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be uh, lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Here we are on day four. God uh, commanded there to be lights in the expanse of the heavens and the skies to separate the day from the night. So here, God creates the sun, the moon, and uh, the stars of the universe. And with that, he also creates uh, seasons and days and years and time itself. And this passage is very carefully emphasizing God's creative work on the sun, moon, and stars. It's, it's evoking a sense of worshipful awe of the creator rather than the created. God is the source of light. God created the sun, moon, and stars. And it's making it clear that we should worship him. He doesn't even name the sun and the moon. And it, almost as if in passing, 
As an afterthought, it isn't that, but almost as an afterthought, it just reads, oh, and I created the stars as well. He's calling attention to himself as creator God, not attention to his objects. And with this day, he also creates the Milky Way galaxy, the galaxy that we live in. He forms the sun into the right size and places it in the exact spot necessary to warm the earth and provide light for life. He, he creates the moon to rule the night and kind of be like our cosmic nightlight here for, for us here on the earth. And he set the moon in orbit around the earth. He tilted the earth on its axis. He made the earth to rotate. Then he had set us a, in a, uh, the earth in an elliptical orbit around the sun. This is why we have a 24-hour day, a 365-day year, and four seasons that we enjoy annually. God also created the laws of nature, and every single one of them is perfectly designed to sustain life on earth. Earlier, we looked at the microscopic aspects of uh, the physical light that God created. Here in these verses, we can get lost in the sheer enormity and, and, and magnitude of the physical entities that he is, is, uh, he's created that will now emit this physical light. So imagine again, uh, if you will, imagine this. God has, has created light. He created light on day one, but, but he has not yet created the, the physical objects as the sources of those lights until we come to day four. When God says, let there be light in the heavens, and it's stunning, God's creative power. Uh, The sun is 93 million miles away. It emits light energy through nuclear fusion of hydrogen into helium. Its core temperature is about 27 million degrees Fahrenheit and it's orbiting around the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And every day, scientists are discovering more and more uh, galaxies uh, that are, uh, they're seeing, they're looking deeper and peering deeper into the universe and, and they're seeing so many galaxies that they, they're now estimating there may be some millions and billions of galaxies in the universe. And he is, uh, God has also created trillions, probably quadrillions, if not more, uh, stars throughout the universe. And some bur- burn hotter than others. Some are hundreds of times larger than even our sun. God even uh, created uh, many stars, uh, uh, stars uh, pairs of stars that are in orbit around each other. Kind of like there's like some kind of cosmic dance going on before the creator God. All the while, they're twinkling away for us to enjoy from our position, safe position here on earth. Some stars are even exploding into supernovae to produce brilliant and colorful displays of light. God has arranged other stars into artistic patterns that we call constellations. God has even created clouds of of gas and dust called nebulae that can very slowly condense enough to form into stars. And new stars, in fact, are still very slowly forming today from these beautiful displays of cosmic dust that are comprised mainly of hydrogen and helium. And God created those elements necessary for that to happen. 
Church, the, the sheer size and immensity of the cosmos should just make us step back and declare what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter eight. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? And yet this creator of light is mindful of us and does care for us. The very light that he created itself demonstrates that God loves us. If you're here this morning and you're like, no one loves me and I don't even know if God loves me, then can I just invite you, when you walk outside after church this morning, look up. The very light that's shining down upon you is evidence of God's love for you. By the way, let's not take for granted that God created an atmosphere that allows us to see the cosmos because he didn't have to do it that way. Which means that God also made light for us to enjoy it reflects his beauty and, and glory and, and, and majesty and, and grandeur. I might encourage you at some point, go out into a cornfield and, at night and on a clear night and just look up. It should uh, cause some kind of stirring in our souls in awe of the vastness and beauty of the heavens and how small and insignificant we are by comparison. And by the way, in verse 19, God finishes this creative work on day four by saying, it was good. Friends, in the beginning, God created light. And this uh, physical light leads to physical life, but it doesn't stop there. The physical light that, that God created illumines his glory for sure but it also guides our souls to the true light that was coming into the world many, many, many years later. You see, the physical light that God created points to the light of mankind. And just as God is the source of physical light, so he is the source of spiritual light. Just as physical light is necessary for physical life, so spiritual life, light is necessary for spiritual life. Just as physical light pierces the darkness, so the true light pierces the darkness of our souls. And just as physical light brings wonder and amazement when we peer at it, when we study it, when we ponder it, so too the true light of mankind brings wonder and amazement when we seek and savor and ponder and meditate upon and study him. And yet here in Genesis chapter one, the opening chapter of the story of redemption, God is giving us uh, just a, a faint whisper and shadow of salvation and life that his physical light points to. So I would suggest that we, we conclude our time here this morning in praise and adoration of who our creator God of light is. That scripture says that God himself is light. And in him is no darkness whatsoever. 
God has made light to give us life, to be enjoyed and to reveal his glory. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm chapter 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And these physical realities should just stir within us a greater desire to praise and adore his name. But the physical light also prepares us for the light that would one day come when the Savior, the light of men, would come into the world and pierce the darkness with his marvelous, unapproachable, glorious light. Psalm 113, verse three, we sang it earlier. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Oh, may God find us doing exactly that when he returns. Amen, church? Praise the name of the Lord. And so God, we do just that. We seek to just praise you. You alone are worthy of our praise. You made us in, in your image to image you to your creation. But you are the creator of all and we are not. And yet you are near to us and, and yet you are with us and, and yet you love us and, and you care for us. And the very light that we take for granted every single day points to your love for us. Oh God, may we not do that. May we forever sing your praises because you are magnificent and you are, you are awesome and, and uh, it all climaxes in Jesus Christ, the light of the world, when he comes, sacrifices his life and pays that penalty on the cross then rises on the third day to kick death in the seat of the pants. Oh, hallelujah, God. Thank you for creating light. Thank you for being light. Thank you for giving us physical life. Thank you for giving us spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And so we have nothing left to offer you except sacrifices of praise. And so we continue to do that here this morning for your glory and our joy in Christ's name, amen.